0: welcome back in to a new edition of the Denver Nuggets daily podcast I know it has been a long time but I am TJ McBride I am the host of this Denver Nuggets daily podcast and we are back a little bit of a Off-season hiatus just to kind of get back to regular life for a second, put my life back together. Had a quick health scare, but things seem to uh, be moving in the correct direction now. So the podcast is making its return for all off-season shenanigans that are going to be taking part. Um, We're already getting going quick. The NBA itself is already having quite a bit of things going on. Uh, The Boston Celtics and Los Angeles Lakers have been having conversations with the New Orleans Pelicans individually about Anthony Davis. You have different players opting in and out of their contracts. Tim Connolly is staying in Denver. Summer League is less than a month away. We got about a week until the draft. So there is a ton of stuff that is going on around the league as it stands right now. So... What is going to start happening with this Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast is I'm going to start from point guards and I'm going to move through every single player on the roster and just do a player recap pod essentially for each player just to kind of outline what they did, what they didn't do throughout the year, ways that they grew, ways that they still need to grow, some very strong performances they had, and then as usual I'll take some questions from listeners and I'll go down the list and I'll do my best to answer as many of them as I can and how they pertain to the individual player. I will be looking ahead a little bit for these players about what I expect to see from them as they kind of mature into their next step of growth going into the next season, but this isn't going to be a projection podcast. This is more of a reflection podcast of looking back at all of the things that have been accomplished or were lacking the... I guess, production that we needed to see as, you know, as as, 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 that the Nuggets needed to see from their individual players. So we're definitely going to dive into that. To accompany all these podcasts, there are going to be articles on milehighsports.com covering these players. There's already multiple of them up. Uh, All the point guards are done. Jamal Murray, I posted that a few days ago. Isaiah Thomas, Monte Morris, uh, Gary Harris. I'll have Malik Beasley's coming out probably Friday night, which will be, about 24-36 you know, hours from the second that you listen to this podcast, so that'll be out then too, and we're going to keep moving through all the players all the way up until we get to Summer League, which I will be out there July 5th through the 9th, um, Brandon Ewing, who works with My Life Sports as well, will be out there for a good chunk of time, as well as Duvalier, Johnson, and Jenna Garcia, so... Big Mile High Sports contingent is going to be in Las Vegas for all of this going on. We're going to be able to get the Michael Porter Jr. show going on. Um, I keep hearing rumors that the first game of Summer League is likely going to be Michael Porter Jr. versus Zion Williamson. So you're going to get the Pelicans versus the Nuggets in Summer League on that um, the night of the fifth in Vegas. So that's going to be a ton of fun. So keep it locked to Mile High Sports. There is going to be so many fun things that we are doing, and it's going to be a fun summer with lots of fun content that is plan for that. This is going to be the Jamal Murray Player Recap Podcast. I'm going to talk about his regular season and postseason stats. I'm going to talk about ways he grew, ways he still needs to grow going into the next season, talk about his top five games of the year, as well as get into some questions from listeners that came in when I put that tweet out yesterday. Before I do that, though, I got to pay some bills and give a shout out to Terrapin Care Station. They are the presenting sponsor of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. There would not be a Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast without the Support of Terrapin Care Station. So, for any of your cannabis goods, go to any of their multiple locations in the Denver metro area. They're discreet. They're easy. They're always they're they're always around. They're open. uh, I believe it's 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. So. Go check out Terrapin Care Station for all of your cannabis goods. And also, shout out to the Regulators Production Group. That is Rod Simba. It's at Regulators Regime on Instagram. Those guys are the best. They do great audio production. That is why I have such great sounding beats on the intro and outro of my podcast, as well as the, um, the comeback music that you'll hear after I give this Terip and Care Station read. So, go give some love to Terip and Care Station. Give some love some love to the regulators production group that is at regulators regime on instagram because again this podcast would not be the same without them also follow b skip 17 on twitter follow vita viva diva on twitter follow devalier johnson on twitter and follow me on twitter at tj mcbride nba um this is the mile high sports denver nuggets daily podcast and before we go any further here is one quick word from our presenting sponsor he really kind of established himself in terms of the hierarchy of the Denver Nuggets so one of their biggest issues a couple years ago was there was no set in stone hierarchy for the Denver Nuggets who's the alpha dog who's the leader where do these people fall into line and for so long was it Paul Mills at the second best player is it Gary Harris is it Will Barton is it Jamal Murray there were just you know Danilo Gallinari Wilson Chandler if you want to continue stepping backwards Um, that really was a big issue for the Nuggets but this year there was an established high Hierarchy, and in my opinion, Jamal Murray firmly established himself as the second person in that hierarchy in terms of roster construction. Nikola Jokic runs this team. The offense is built around him, the defense is built around him, and he is the focal point in the engine of everything that they do. But Jamal Murray became his second in command. He became the, the Robin to the to Nikola Jokic's Batman, per se, to be able to come out and be that consistent figure that was able to continually be productive and help this Nuggets team when they needed it. Gary Harris being in out of the lineup being hurt did not help his case. Will Barton went through his first big injury of his career and never really bounced back after getting that injury. Paul Millsap, while strong throughout the year, he wasn't that dominant force that you could rely on to go win you games when things kind of went by the wayside. There was nobody that really ran with that role. I mean, even going back a couple of years, I wrote about this when I uh, did my Jamal Murray Player Recap, which is up on my High Sports right now, um, is that, you know, two years ago, Gary Harris was the unquestionable second star alongside Nikola Jokic. He was the one that had that telepathic connection and the dribble handoff and pick and roll with them. They just had that chemistry and that symbiotic relationship together that allowed them to flourish together. Uh, Gary Harris obviously started getting some more injuries the next season, and it kind of became this uh, guard by co- committee to fill into that second star role. So whether it was Will Barton having a big game or Jamal Murray or Gary Harris, it became much more of a uh, carousel as opposed to someone grabbing a hold of that role and running with it. Well, this year, Jamal Murray in the regular season unquestionably became that guy for the Nuggets. And that's not to say Gary Harris took big steps backwards or or Will Barton did in terms of how big their talent level is. It's just the situations that surrounded their season did not allow them to continue to run with that role in the way that Jamal Murray did because he's been available much more often. Uh, Before I go any further, let me just lay out the stats that Jamal Murray had during the regular season. He averaged 18.2 points, 4.2 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 0.9 steals, 0.4 blocks, and just 2.1 turnovers. He shot 43.5% from the field, 36.7% from three, and 84.8% from the free throw line. Had 112 offensive rating against a 107.4 defensive rating for a plus 4.6 net rating according to NBA. Com. Um, step by step in these stats, once again, this is something that I will talk about a little bit more in terms of what Jamal Murray needs to do to kind of become the better version of himself and start nearing that potential and that ceiling that he has, and it's being more consistent as a shooter. As somebody who has the, just the, I'm absolutely blessed to be able to watch these guys, whether it's for little pieces during practice or during shoot around, or whether it's just pregame warmups before game, I get to watch these guys shoot without any defenders in their face. And when you watch a guy shoot in essentially an empty gym, just one on zero, you start to realize how absurdly talented these players are. I've personally watched Jamal Murray make 27 straight threes just warming up board before. And for him to have that level of shot-making ability, that kind of talent, and to be 6'4", 6'5", as a point guard with some length and some athleticism and some shake to him, the fact that he's only hitting 36.7% from three um, over this past season and only 43.7% from the field, that kind of worries me. I mean, it's weird. I mean, when you start looking back at what Jamal Murray has done throughout his career, he's never shot better than 37% from three. Three. Jamal Murray is a better shooter than that. It, there is just no if ands buts about it. Jamal Murray, in terms of form, in terms of release, in terms of consistency, in terms of confidence, is a better shooter than he has been in his first th- few years in the NBA. I don't know what has led to him not, you know, living up to that reputation, but it's weird to see him not hitting those shots. Uh, the other thing too is that forty three point seven percent from the field. He was injured a lot the past few years. His first year, he had the hernia. He or two hernias. He was dealing with. He had ankle issues and all all kinds of stuff A second year, and then more ankle issues this season as well as a shoulder issue, a quad issue, a hamstring issue, a forearm issue. There were so many injuries he dealt with that that can be an argument as to why he struggled to score efficiently at the rim and from the field, but still. It is notable overall. Um, Another big positive to take from his numbers, though, is the 4.8 assists against 2.1 turnovers. Having a nearly you know 2.5 to 1 turnover ratio is a big deal. Um, Jamal Murray was not hailed as a floor general type point guard coming into the draft. He was looked at as a pure shooting shooting guard who had enough point guard skills to fill that role. You know, he played point guard for the Canadian national team. It wasn't like it was a completely foreign endeavor for him, but there was going to be a progression that he had to make. And he did. He has taken those steps and again, I'm going to be referencing my article on Mile High Sports quite a bit as I go through this process, but I put a graph out showing his assists per game over the last three years, his first three years in the league, his assist percentages, and then as well as his assist-to-turnover ratio, and each season, it has taken incremental steps forward, and it really kind of culminated into this third season where he got big jumps. It was no longer averaging three, three three-and-a-half assists against two turnovers. He jumped that up to almost five assists against just two turnovers. While those turnovers have been progressively getting less and less and less on average throughout the seasons that he has been progressing through. So very good to see. Um, The stats overall were strong. 18.2 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, 4.8 assists. If I remember correctly, Jamal Murray is the ninth player that started the season 21 years or younger to ever put up those numbers throughout an entire season. 18 points, 4.2 rebounds, 4.8 assists. So for his age, and for what is being asked of him at his age, it was actually quite a season for Jamal Murray. And then when you look into the playoffs, he just got better. 21.3 points per game, 4.4 rebounds, 4.7 assists, 1 steal, just .1 block, I think he only had 1 block in the playoffs, um, against 1.6 turnovers. He shot 42.5% from the field, 33.7 from 3, and then 90.3 from the free throw line, while sporting a 116.3 offensive rating and a point. 3 defensive rating for a net rating of plus 7. So, in the playoffs, you tend to see field goal percentages drop as it is just because the game slows down. Defenses are a lot more focused in. And because of that, Jamal Murray's numbers in terms of efficiency did fall a little bit from 36.7% from three during the regular season to 33.7% from three in the postseason. 43.5% from the field in the regular season, 42.5% from the field in the postseason. So, with that being said, though, Jamal Murray, no matter what in the postseason, found a way to continually. Produce for his team despite the fact that the Nuggets just had this it was almost like a plague that completely kept them from being able to hit the shots that they have been hitting for most of the season the Nuggets had one of the strangest struggles shooting throughout the postseason that I can remember it was just this bizarre wide open look after wide open look just kept bouncing it off and off and off the rim so but regardless Jamal Murray is just the fourth player ever at 21 years or younger to start the season to average 21.3 points, 4.4 rebounds and 4.7 assists per game in the in, in the playoffs just it's it's LeBron, Tracy McGrady and Kobe I think is what the list was so rarefied historic air for Jamal Murray in terms of what he was able to do on a pure raw production level as this young of a player on that level of a play. I mean to play in the postseason like that and to put up numbers like that was massive. Um there were still some big drawbacks that we saw from Jamal Murray in the postseason. Defensively he was targeted. I mean it wasn't just that he was targeted. He was the target and Over and over again, whether it was San Antonio or whether it was the Portland Trailblazers, they continually tried to find matchups to exploit Jamal Murray on the defensive end of the floor. So that is going to have to change. But even with that being said, Denver overall as a defensive team were much better in the playoffs than I think really anybody expected. I mean, this is not a defensive stalwart roster. They were a top 10 defense throughout the regular season, but you don't go in expecting this Denver Nuggets team to get in a stance in the half court and just suffocate the life out of you like Toronto does. They didn't necessarily suffocate teams, but they were much better than, they, than you would expect in the postseason from a defensive standpoint, even with Jamal Murray on the floor. A little bit of a positive uh, from Jamal Murray's postseason as well. His turnovers fell from 2.1 in the regular season to 1.6 in the postseason while his assists stayed the same and his usage rating went way up. That's a big deal to me because it showed that Jamal Murray had the presence of mind to continually make great decisions despite the fact that the spotlight got significantly brighter with him on the floor. So... The fact that Jamal Murray was able to control himself and understand what needed to be done and to have the presence of mind to make the correct decision when everything is moving so quickly around him, that's huge. Jamal Murray is still 22 years old. He just turned 22 in February. So it's not like this is a hardcore veteran who has been through these rigorous uh, postseason play before. This was his first taste of it, and his decision-making got better. His playmaking got better, and his ability to play with the two-man game with uh, with Nicole. Jokic got better. The only detractions that you can make about Jamal Murray's game in the postseason was that he wasn't a very efficient scorer. Again, 42.5% from the field, 33.3% from three. That's not efficient, but he was able to battle through and be a productive player for the Nuggets regardless. They would not have been in that situation to where they were one win away from the Western Conference Finals if it wasn't for the fact that Jamal Murray, despite all of the injuries he was dealing with, and despite it being his first postseason, stepped up and, again, became that second star for the Denver Nuggets. Um, Also, 116.3 offensive rating in 14 playoff games for a 22-year-old is absurd, and I wanted to at least make sure that was pointed out because that's a ridiculous number. Um, That's kind of just the stats, though. I wanted to kind of just outline his raw numbers and kind of show everybody what he was able to do in just a – points, rebounds, assists kind of blanket kind of coverage. So that's what Jamal Murray was able to do in the regular and postseason. And both of those were nearly historic numbers that put him in the rarefied air of Hall of Famers and NBA legends for how productive he was in the regular and postseason for his age. So what a season it was from Jamal Murray. So next I want to talk about... very particular things that Jamal Murray did that improved his overall game from this regular season um, and postseason. I'm going to combine them the two together because it's unfair to kind of differentiate when they're very similar progressions and growths that he was able to take. Um, I'm going to do this with every player that I end up covering. I'm going to do Monte Morris next and then Isaiah Thomas the day after that. So we'll have these kinds of takeaways for each player on these podcasts, but Let's just dive in to three ways that Jamal Murray grew this season or ways that he has just been able to consistently help because, again, it was his third year in the NBA, so while the growth is there, there's also um, confirming things that we thought we knew that we now definitely know that also was an important distinction that was made throughout the season. And I think the biggest thing that was made was that Jamal Murray became a consistent threat as a scorer for the, op- for the opposing defenses. You couldn't come in. Into a game against the Nuggets without Jamal Murray circled on the scouting report because he established himself as a legitimate three-level score. He was getting downhill and finishing at the rim now that he was finally without the two sports hernias that he had in his core. So he was able to get up and show that athletic ability and finish at the rim. Um, he was finally able to get a little bit more consistent hitting threes this year. Again, 36.7% is nothing to be in, in, you know, blown away by, but you had to honor his three-point shooting in a way that allowed him to attack closeouts and when he started attacking closeouts he wasn't just straight trying to get to the rim any longer he was pulling up for elbow jumpers you know whether it's from the free throw line or from the elbow just those mid-range looks that tend to be open whenever you have to fight over screens when you're defending Jamal Murray I'm going to do a big film dive into the into that Jamal Murray Nikola Jokic two-man game and a big thing you'll see in that is that whenever Nikola Jokic and uh, Jamal Murray when a pick and roll or dribble handoff together you, the So the player that is defending Jamal Murray is the one that is getting screened by Jokic, and that defender has to fight over that Jokic screen. But you can't hedge. You can't have the guy who is defending Jokic come up to slow Jamal Murray because then you're leaving Nikola Jokic rolling to the rim with nobody to slow him down with all full field of vision to be able to make passes out of that as he attracts the weak side defense to come to him. So because of that, the defense has to have the guards fight over the screen and have their bigs drop. That means Jamal Murray almost always has his defender on his back and it means that the big defender who might have an opportunity to contest his mid-range jump shot is actually down low trying to deal with Nikola Jokic. Jamal Murray at any given point at you know it didn't matter what play, what quarter, what minute, Jamal Murray can get to that elbow jump shot or that mid-range pull-up jumper out of a dribble handoff and pick and roll whenever the hell he pleases. That is going to be a shot that I want to see him add more, but he did add it this year as a consistent threat, and it made him a three-level score, which made the Nuggets so much more difficult to defend as a unit. So because of that, that was just great to see overall, and a lot of it had to do with his athletic ability coming back. Him generally being more healthy than he has been for the majority of his NBA career to this point. Uh, the other way that he grew was his big game ability finally started showing. And that's not to say that it didn't show in years past, but this was the year where you were like, oh, the Nuggets could use a big Jamal Murray game, and they're probably going to get one because of just his mentality as he approaches those types of performances. Uh, the easiest and most memorable one uh, from the regular season, which I'll talk about more later on, was when the Boston Celtics came into Denver in uh, November of 2018, and Kyrie Irving got a visit by Jamal Murray, who went out there and put up 48 points on the Boston Celtics. Just absolutely single-handedly annihilated them. He had back-to-back 34-point games in the playoffs. He had that five-overtime game, in which he really helped carry the Nuggets through that. So when the Nuggets needed big games, Jamal Murray showed that he could have those big games. And he gets hot as quick as anybody. I would go back to to Game 2 against the San Antonio Spurs when the Nuggets were actually losing and they needed somebody to go off in the in the fourth quarter to save them. And Jamal Murray had three points through three quarters, if I remember correctly, and then had 22 in the fourth quarter alone. That big game ability manifested itself this year as a consistent threat it wasn't just something you knew was in the background it was absolutely there and in front of you and other teams knew that they had to make sure that Jamal Murray did not get hot because when Jamal Murray can get hot and all that attention gets brought to him Nikola Jokic gets better and then everybody else gets better because Nikola Jokic is better which makes again the rest of the team that much stronger and more productive so Having that big game ability, it changed the way the Nuggets had to be defended, and it put so much more strain onto opposing defenses. And in addition to that, his availability. I mean, he's missed eight games in three years, and that includes 14 playoff games this year in which he played in all 14, despite the fact that he rolled his ankle, I believe, three times in the playoffs, got a quad injury and a shoulder injury. This is a dude who is as tough as it comes. And and he, I, I believe... It was seven of his eight games that he has missed came from an ankle injury this season, and he was basically forced to sit out and was not allowed to play in any capacity. Uh, Before that, it was only concussion protocol that kept him out for a singular game in back-to-back years. So, Jamal Murray's availability, that's a big deal. We now know for a fact. We knew it before, but now it's... It's a factual statement that cannot be argued: that Jamal Murray will be there when the Nuggets need it, and will be available, and will play a lot of games every single season. Um, you know, obviously, random things happen, but Jamal Murray will, and Will Barton and Paul Millsap, all of which who have been unable to do that in the past couple of years, in some semblance of guard play alongside Nikola Jokic time to dive into some things that Jamal Murray needs to improve on and that's these are things that are achievable they're not like just completely outlandish ways for him to get better like oh you should shoot 10 percent better from three and like crazy things like that these are just little things that he can do in his approach either mentally or physically to hopefully be able to help progress him as a player and I think the number one thing that uh, the number one place that we have to start is defense because in the playoffs, there was no better example of how how much better Jamal Murray needs to get defensively than when they were playing against the Spurs and playing against the and playing against the Blazers. And against the Spurs, whether it was DeMar DeRozan, whether it was Derek White, um, whether it was Rudy Gay getting matched up with him in, in mismatches, it didn't Davis Bertons. There were so many different players that either came off the bench or were starters and got switched onto Jamal Murray that were able to exploit him defensively. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs absolutely made it a point to go after him him. Derek White took over those first few games because Jamal Murray had nothing he could do to slow him down defensively. Um, Then you jump ahead to the Portland series and you have the Portland Trailblazers playing Rudy Gay significantly more minutes because the Nuggets cannot hide Jamal Murray on him. He can just shoot over Jamal Murray and he was able to hit big shots to the point that he was hitting, like like the shot that he hit in game, uh, I believe it was game three, the four overtime game. The Nuggets would have won that series if Rodney Hood doesn't just become a very, very functional player after not being one for the you know, months before that. And it was because Jamal Murray could not defend him in terms of strength, in terms of quickness, and he wasn't long enough to disrupt what he was doing. So when you add all those things together, Jamal Murray became a player that other teams hunted defensively, and he has to find a way to get better at that. And it's not that he can't. This Jamal Murray is 6'4", 6'5", 200 pounds, muscly, big, strong point guard. He can bang with a lot of these guys, but he was banged up throughout the year, so that could definitely lead into this, but it seemed like mentally he just wasn't wasn't always engaged, and he, or he would just lose sight of what he was doing. He is a habitual ball watcher. Whenever he is off ball as a defender, he has lost so many guys to back door cuts or has been screened from behind on a flare screen that allowed his man to get wide open for three. There were so many things where Jamal Murray took a half second to where he was no longer mentally checked in and Steph Curry hits a three, or Mo Harkless sets a flare screen on him and Damian Lillard gets a corner three out of it. He has to be more mentally focused on the defensive end of the floor, particularly when he is off-ball. If he can do that, it will make the connection of the Nuggets players on defense significantly more symbiotic and in a line. Gave up a corner three-pointer that was more open than it should have been just because Jamal Murray was not difference. Jamal Murray is as locked into a player offensively as I can think of. He still makes weird that tends to happen. But on defense, it cannot happen. He has to find a way to be better than that on-ball defense is similar for him as well. I mean, he's not as bad on-ball as he is off-ball, but if he gets screened at the wrong angle, he doesn't know how to anticipate the screen coming and find his angle to get over a screen. He really struggles getting over screens and getting through screens. When he goes under, he doesn't have the length or the burst to be able to contest the shots that are going up. So, a lot of times what is happening is teams are running uh, Jamal Murray through some kind of a screen defensively, either getting him switched on onto a big or they're giving whatever guard it is enough of a runway downhill because Jamal Murray is trying to fight over the screen and is unable to. Once he starts struggling to get over the screen, he starts going under it and then he starts giving up three-pointers. So on ball, they just run him through uh, uh, through as many screens as they can to get mismatches or advantages. And off ball, they are able to set off ball flare screens and things like that to really take advantage of his lack of mental... Um, it's not even a lack of mental strength, it's just the the lack of focus that kind of just wavers as he's playing defense. So hopefully that'll be something that can be fixed in time. Um, That literally is something that can happen in one offseason. Think about Nikola Jokic, who was always a good positional defender, had an idea of where to be, but was just 5% late all of the time. This year, he removed that 5% differentiation, and because of that, he became a very functional defender for this Denver Nuggets team. If Jamal Murray can take a similar leap in that mental approach to the defensive end of the basketball court, it could pay off huge dividends for the Denver Nuggets looking down the line. Moving forward with different things that Jamal Murray needs to improve on, I think the biggest thing that's next is consistency. Uh, Michael Malone spoke about this in his exit interview. He spoke about it during the playoffs. He spoke about it during the regular season. Jamal Murray has the talent and the ability to put up 21 points a night, if not more. He has all of the scoring potential within him. But for too long and too often, his scoring will disappear and then come back in flurries. Jamal Murray is too talented to be that streaky of a scorer. He should not have three points through three quarters and 22 in the fourth. Like, those things are an issue. The Nuggets need a consistent contribution from Jamal Murray when the games really get down to the wire, like in the playoffs. They can't be a one-quarter bonanza. It needs to be a consistent 48-minute effort for the entire series, and if they can get that, if Denver can get that consistent Jamal Murray, again, the strain they put on defense is, are, is hard to quantify because Nikola Jokic is a three-level scorer. Jamal Murray is a three-level scorer. Gary Harris is on his way to being a three-level scorer once he's able to add a little bit more of a mid-range game, which has been improving throughout the past couple of years. Will Barton is a, th- is a three-level scorer. Paul Millsap is a guy that if he had a more efficient three-point shot would be a three-level scorer. When you have that many players who can score from that many places on the court, oh, and all of them are unselfish, you don't know where you're going to be attacked from. You don't know what to key in on. You don't know what reads to make because there's five people who can make any given read at any given time. So it makes it completely unable to predict. So if Jamal Murray can add that consistency to where you know what you're getting from him on a night-to-night basis, it will become a situation in which... Teams come in and they just defend each player straight up and they attempt to try and slow Jokic, which means Jamal Murray gets hot. When they try and slow Jamal Murray, Gary Harris gets hot. If they play more perimeter-oriented, then all of a sudden Nikola Jokic is eating at the rim. There's no way to actually slow down the Nuggets offense on paper unless they beat themselves if they get a consistent Jamal Murray. So again, this is a very fantasy land, but that is in the cards. Jamal Murray can find a way. And if I was going to bet on anything, I think that that is where Jamal Murray improves this offseason, is his consistency, his ability to come out and give the Nuggets 21 points a night every night. Not 31 points in one half, and four in the other, actually substantially making this a consistent and relentless offensive attack from this Nuggets team. And Jamal Murray getting more consistent is the first start in that. Uh, The last two things are really not anything that, necessarily Jamal has control. He has some control over it, but these things might just be kind of random. Uh, The first thing I want to talk about is staying healthy. I know this is a weird dichotomy because I literally gave him credit for his availability in my um, and the good things about his season earlier, but despite the fact that he played in almost every game for the past three years, he's been hurt for probably 60% of them. I don't know anybody who has rolled their ankle as many times as Jamal Murray rolled his ankle this season. I remember it happening seven or eight times. It was incredible insane, and then to have multiple ankle injuries, a shoulder injury, a hamstring injury, a quad injury, a forearm injury, and those were just happening at the end of the season, that is something that it has to be noted. And again, he played through two sports hernias. So at, how often has Jamal Murray actually even been healthy for this Nuggets team? I don't think we can Create an answer, but I would say less than 70% of the games that he has played, he has not. Um, he has been healthy. Uh, it's just one of those things where he's been hurt most of the time. He's just played through it. So getting a healthy Jamal Murray, a like you know a 90% at their peak, you know full production Jamal Murray without him being hurt, that could be an entirely different player. We don't know because we haven't seen it. There was even rumors that his um the hernia issues that he had his rookie season even stemmed back to his time in Kentucky so I I don't even know if we've seen a healthy Jamal Murray since he entered college the last time that we might have seen a fully healthy Jamal Murray might have been the, the, the Canadian national team five years ago so we'll have to just wait and see if we can get an actual healthy season of Jamal Murray because I can't wait to see what that looks like uh, the last thing I wanted to say is remaining consistent as a shooter this goes in with the consistency of just him as a player overall but my thing is that and i talked about this earlier jamal murray is a better than a 37% three point shooter and that's the, his career high ever like he should be like he should have a 40% season at some point in the very very near future he should be a consistent 38 to 41 42% three point shooter that is his talent level, and that is what should be expected of him. So I am wondering if we'll see a better output as a three-point shooter. But again, Jamal Murray might not have been healthy since going back all the way to his time on the Canadian national team five years ago. So that might also have a big part to do with this. The next thing I'm going to do is jump into my top five performances from Jamal Murray's 2018-19 season before getting into three quick listener questions as well. Um, I broke it down into two regular season games and three postseason games. So there were two in particular regular season games that I couldn't get out of my head. The one I already talked about, which was the 48.4 assist, five rebound performance against the Celtics when Jamal Murray went toe-to-toe with Kyrie Irving and basically just wiped the floor with him. Jamal had 48 points on 19 of 30 shooting to go with 5 of 11 from 3. Just an absolutely incredible game from Jamal Murray with some of the brightest lights around him against one of the greatest point guards in the NBA as it currently stands. The other game that I wanted to talk about also happened in 2018. It happened on uh, two days before Christmas. It was December 29th. The Nuggets were playing the Suns in Phoenix, and Jamal Murray went in there and had 46 points, 6 rebounds, and 8 assists, and he did so while shooting 16 of 24 from the field and 9 of 11 from 3. That's unholy. That is absolutely absurd to have 46 points on 24 shots. Like, I don't care who's defending you. You could be playing a JV high school team, and that's still incredibly impressive. So what just a fun regular season from Jamal Murray, but where the fun really kicked in was the postseason. And the first game I want to talk about, which is which is which would be number three on my list of top t- uh, five games that Jamal Murray played, would be the four overtime game in which Jamal Murray had 34 points, nine rebounds, and five assists on 14 of 32 shooting in four of 12 from three. I know that the shooting numbers aren't amazing. I know that he that the Nuggets lost this game. I don't care. Jamal Murray was playing injured on the road as a 22 year old in his first ever postseason, and him and Nikola Jokic just kept working together and did everything they could to keep that game close what an incredible performance a gutsy performance from a battered young and just massively underrated Jamal Murray I have been loud about things that I think Jamal Murray desperately needs to improve on all season long I even developed a little bit of a um a, a reputation for not for being a Jamal Murray hater which isn't true there are things like I don't hold him to the ilk that some of my colleagues and some other fans do, but I still believe that Jamal Murray is an incredibly talented player, and we saw that in that four-overtime game. We saw the manifestation of his shot-making. We saw all of his toughness on display, his ability to play through injuries, his big playability, and the fact that he was still able to play in a very... um, I just I keep using this word a very symbiotic way with Nikola Jokic despite the exhaustion and despite the fact that the game was in four overtime so thirty four nine and five on fourteen of thirty two shooting in a four overtime game in game three on the road in Portland of the second round of the playoffs Bravo kid regardless of the, of the loss. The next game I want to get into is Game 5 against San Antonio because Jamal Murray went in. He It was at home, and this wasn't a game where he had 30-plus points or anything crazy like this. This was the most well-rounded game he had as a player in the playoffs, in my opinion. And I think that the reason that I really wanted to emphasize this game was because this is the, this is the exact evidence that Jamal Murray can be more than just a scorer. He can be a defender. He can be a guy who creates plays for others. He can be a guy who... can get gritty and get on the floor and create great opportunities for his teammates, he can be a high-efficiency guy, he can hit his shots, and he can not turn the ball over and continue making great decisions. So, first round of the playoffs against the San Antonio Spurs in Game 5, Jamal Murray had 23 points, 4 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals, and a block. He hit 9 of his 16 shots, 4 of his 9 shots from deep, and was a plus 33 in an 18-point win. That's the big thing for me. A plus thirty-three and an eighteen point win. He only had two turnovers in this game and he was just in complete control of everything happening around him on offense and on defense. So overall, in terms of a game that he was able to produce in ways that we have not necessarily seen in the consistency, in being consistent as a shooter, in the defense, in the decision making, Jamal Murray put all of that, oops, put all of that on full display in this game in my opinion. And that's why I made sure I wanted to include it into this. List and the most impressive game, in my opinion, that Jamal Murray had all year long was in the second round, game four, against the Portland Trail Blazers on the road after losing a four overtime game, literally, like just about 48 hours earlier. They had one day of rest in between that. So with one day of rest, after playing 55 minutes in one game, Jamal Murray went back into the Moda Center or the Rose Garden, as I like to call it, in Portland, and he had 35 or 34 points, 5 rebounds, and 4 assists on 10 of 20 shooting from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, and was a plus 10 and a 4-point win with only 2 turnovers. Not only that, Jamal Murray... He wasn't just settling. He was relentlessly attacking in this game. And that is embodied by his going 11 of 11 from the free throw line. I don't know how a 22-year-old, just turned 22 at this point, in his first ever playoffs, was able to go on the road after losing a 4 overtime game and be able to steal a game in Game 4 just like 36 hours later as if it's no big deal while putting up 34 points, 5 rebounds, and 4 assists. You want to talk about big game ability? That is the big game ability from Jamal Murray. So, to kind of encapsulate this list one last time, I have Jamal Murray's 48.5 rebound 4 assist game against the Celtics as my 5th best game. I had the 46 6 and 8 on 16 of 24 shooting against the Suns where he hit 9 of 11 from 3. Then I have game 3 against the Portland Trail Blazers when the Nuggets lost in 4 overtimes and Jamal had 34 9 and 5 Then I had the game 5 against San Antonio in Denver where Jamal Murray had his well rounded game 23 4 7 2 and 1 and then the best game of the year was game four at Portland where he had 34-5-4 and four, to lead the Nuggets to a road victory in their first playoffs in six years and Jamal Murray's first playoffs. So what a season it was from Jamal Murray. So much fun. And because of that, I opened up the text line. Well, actually just Twitter and Instagram. But I opened up the line for any listeners who potentially wanted to ask some questions about Jamal Murray uh, for this podcast. And I picked three in particular. Uh, so let's just dive into it. Chandler Jenkins asked how does Jamal get better defensively? Uh, I talked about it briefly earlier in this podcast, but I do think Jamal Murray just settling down and trying to lock in defensively or uh, mentally on the defensive end of the floor is going to be the best way for him to find a way to actually become a service a serviceable defender. There's nothing physically that he can just completely alter at any given time to be able to go out there and be a better defender. I mean he could put on some more weight to bang with bigger players. He could work on his lateral quickness to help stick with guards on the perimeter. But those things take a long time to do. What doesn't take as long is sitting down and watching the film and developing the correct reads and knowing how to work within a team construct and getting with your guys and running through defensive reads and the coverages and the schemes that Michael Malone and his team run. That's how Jamal Murray is going to take a leap defensively. It's not physical. It's mental. Um... Next question from Good Vibes asked, is Jamal Murray worth losing in an Anthony Davis trade? This is such an interesting question to me because... If you trade Jamal Murray for Anthony Davis, that means you're putting Jamal Murray in the Western Conference on a team with Zion Williamson rolling to the rim as as an opposing team that will be fighting with Denver for playoff positioning, potentially. That's a terrifying proposition for me, especially considering that Anthony Davis is likely a one-year rental. Rich Paul, you know, obviously his agent of Clutch Sports, could not scream louder that... Anthony Davis is going to test free agency in 2020. It's going to happen, and because of that, I would not include Jamal Murray or Gary Harris in an Anthony Davis-type trade. Um, I would consider it. There would be a lot of conversations I would have, and depending on the framework of the deal, there might be a trade out there in which I feel better about including Jamal Murray in a deal. But after what Jamal did in the postseason, considering how young he is and considering how well he fits with this team, I, have, I find it very difficult to see Tim Connolly, who has been preaching the fact that there is loyalty, that there is continuity and alignment on this team, that they have built it from within to trade Jamal Murray for a potentially one-year kind of rental of an Anthony Davis. Last question. What do I expect from Jamal Murray next season? From Panther D. Nico on Twitter. Um, For me, I expect a more consistent Jamal Murray, and I expect a more mentally locked-in Jamal Murray. I expect this to be the first season he hits 40% from three. I expect him to take a pretty sizable leap uh, defensively in terms of his positioning and knowing where to be. And I do expect him to not be such a streaky shooter. Those are the three things that I desperately want to see from him. If you only get two of those things, though, that's huge. So that's what I'm looking at for Jamal Murray, and we'll see kind of how it goes. Thank you for sticking with me through this very, 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 very long podcast about Jamal Murray. Um, There was a lot of thoughts that I had, and I wanted to make sure that I got them all out there because it was hard to fit them all into that article. So make sure you go check out Mile High Sports. That is where all those player recaps are up. We already got Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, Isaiah Thomas, and Gary Harris up. Malik Beasley is coming next with Will Barton shortly after. So there's already quite a few up there. I'll have another podcast coming out tomorrow on Monte Morris. But uh, from all of Mile High Sports, thank you for listening f- to the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. Uh, Shouts to, to the Regulators Production Group at Regulators Regime on Instagram for putting the beat together for this podcast. And thank you to Terrapin Care Station for being the presenting sponsor. So, for any t- of your cannabis needs, find Terrapin Care Station. For any of your audio production needs, go hit up the Regulators Production Group. But from me, TJ McBride, this has been the Denver, Nugget, the, the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. We will talk to you guys soon.